There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. The Big Question. So the big question on the show today is one we are asking you as well as our guests. What was the last book that made you want to walk out your front door and never look back? That sparked a need for adventure or escape? Now we reached out on social media as well um, as on the show today. And we've got a few interesting recommendations of books from people. So we've had Eat, Pray, Love come through a few times, as you might expect. We've also had Rania say Donna Leon's... Commissario Brunetti series. We've also had Jonathan get in touch and say Arabian Sands by Wilfred Fessiger. Inspiring, though you'd have to be young, fit and courageous to cross the empty quarter twice on Camel. Can you do it today with the same sense of adventure? Unlikely. We've also had Kate Moss's Labyrinth series um, from Yvette. We've had The Songlines and In Patagonia by Bruce Chatwin, recommended by Nadine. And the book that made Gareth inspired to travel was South by Shackleton um, and that inspired his journey to the Antarctic in 2015. Now I'm just going to straight come up straight out and say that Flora this is your husband. That's right yes um, and Gareth's always been fascinated by the explorers and the um, adventures they've taken and there was an opportunity to go and follow in Shackleton's footsteps in 2015 so he took it and they were able to sail down to, from the tip of South America to the Antarctic and then up to Elephant Island, and then, which is where Shackleton left his crew to try and find rescue because they were stuck. Um, and then on up to South Georgia Island um, and trek across South Georgia Island to the rescue station, the um, station where they were finally rescued from. So just a casual little, you know, <laughs> jolly really. Nothing major. Okay. Um, Alice in Wonderland, Rania says, and we've got a few more as well, but we'll get back to those later. Remember, keep those coming in. What was the book that inspired you to go on an adventure? In honour of that question, we are looking at some different journeys in fiction and non-fiction on the show today. And we now move on to a journey that is also undertaken by a couple, but under very different circumstances. Daisy Line, welcome hello, hello, to hello. the show. You are our guest today talking about The Salt Path by Raynor Wynne. And I'd like you to introduce the book for our listeners, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Um, I sometimes look at these, it's called a memoir, but I'm not quite sure this is a memoir because it's just a, a part of her her and her husband Moth's life. So I can, it's more of a diary for me, um, not a memoir. But right at the beginning of the book, you find them in a cupboard under the stairs, which is an unlikely place to open you know, the opening lines of a book. But it's very much, it's kind of symbolistic of that when they come out of this cupboard, and I'll tell you why in a minute, um, their journey kind of starts from there. And she does question herself saying, was it the first step when we came out of this cupboard that started my journey? Or was it when I was kind of dropped off at the side of the road with backpacks on the back of them and dragging them along? But Paul Rayner and Moth have worked all their entire lives. They met at college. Uh, and to all intents and purposes, a beautiful couple that have everything, two gorgeous children that are off at university. They've completely rebuilt a, a farmhouse in Wales, which they then have a, made a holiday home. Mm. And they have this idyllic life. And they're through, happy. They're absolutely happy. And, and they're just getting things done. And they just seem such a capable couple. And actually, by the end of the book, you, you know they're a capable couple. But um, it gets, all gets taken away. And in... Some of the reviews I've read, it says they've lost. They they lost. They didn't lose. They had it stolen from them by, unfortunately, yeah. a close friend who encouraged them to invest in something that went completely 
out and they lost everything. They lost all their tangible life, really. They lost the farm. They lost their home. They lost their business. And they lost themselves for a little while, um, particularly Moth, who was suffering from um, this ache in his shoulder that he kind of discovered when he fell through a barn floor, as you do. Um, But unfortunately, the day after this court case, where they had everything ripped from them, they also discovered that he had a a very serious degenerative disease, which meant that he would die a very slow and lingering death. And back to this cupboard, where they're sitting underneath this cupboard, right at the beginning of the book, with the bailiffs banging around the house. And I'll read a a small part of that in a minute, if you don't mind, because it, it really sets the book up, really makes you want to go further with them. And... She spies this little box with a book that she had read in her 20s uh, when she was full of life and expectation and hope. And it was called 500 Mile Walkies, which kind of makes you think you're going to be taking a dog with you. Well, the guy that wrote the book actually did take, and she describes it as a scruffy dog, um, on this 500 mile walk. And that was her inspiration. When everything had gone, what could they do? It's a book that addresses all sorts of issues, not just their emotional issues, not just their their issues of having everything taken from them and what happens to their family, not just themselves through the journey, but their family as well, their, their children, Rowan and Tom. It actually gives you some background into homelessness and that's a real... It's something that touches my heart. I've worked with a lot of homeless charities back in the UK and there is a lot of misinformation about homelessness and she really does address that and she she gets very very passionate about it of course she does because she is now described as homeless and all the way through the book right up until the end she doesn't want to admit to other people that she is homeless through a fault of her own so they kind of make up this this story that they sold their house and they're going on a great adventure and I think through the book that actually gives her courage as well that she hasn't had everything taken away from her. This is, you know, this is a choice. The journey they're making is a choice. She's giving herself some agency. Absolutely. Mm. She really, she is a real driving force in this book. And when poor Moth is on his, literally on his knees or flat on his back and can't get up, uh, she is the driving force that, that takes them through. And I, not too many spoilers, but it's not a sad ending. So please read to the end of it. It's really funny because I didn't realise when I picked the book up that this journey that they take, this physical journey, not this emotional journey. Gosh, we get really tired with that. I went on an emotional journey. <laughs> but this, oh. this one, they no, really do. Really did. They really did. One foot in front of the other. One weary foot in front of the other. They really did take a journey. Um, it's actually all the places that I went to as a child on holiday. And so I know I didn't need the map because I almost went and looked on the map. And then as soon as she started kind of naming places, I thought, yes. And she talks about a particular beach that is full of of stones. And I can remember having jelly shoes. Can everybody remember jelly shoes? Yes. Thank you, Annabelle. Yes. (laughs) The jelly shoes. I hated my jelly shoes because they made my feet all sweaty. But I had to wear jelly shoes on this particular beach because it was just completely full of cobbles. So it actually brought some memories back for me as well, some really happy memories. But this couple really do go through it. What do you do when everything is ripped away from you, when everything is taken away and all you have is yourself and the other half of yourself, which is your partner? I'm I'm not brilliant with miles. So the, in the, all the marketing material and on the back of the book and also in the book, it they set out to cover 
the 500 miles that I think it's uh, Paddy Paddy Dillon. Yeah, the, they, they, they buy the Paddy Dillon yeah. book, yes. We, and he's a bit of a fibber. <laughs> he tells a few uh, untruths there because it's actually 630 miles. Yeah. Um, they do miss out 40 miles of it when um, they have to take a bus somewhere. But, well, we, we can forgive them that little th- 40 miles, can we Absolutely. not? Yes, and, I think so. And they're doing it for different reasons, not just to mark off the, yeah. the, yeah. the, the, the journey. And it's incredible the, the different people that they meet. It reminds me of the um, the Harold Fry mm-hmm. book by, what's his name? I've got it written down here somewhere because I knew I'd forget. But just to put oh, the yeah. distance in perspective yeah. for listeners, it's a distance of a, over 1,000 kilometres, which is just about the distance you'd cover if you walked from Dubai to Muscat and back. But... Bear in mind, there was also a lot of vertical challenge in there. Up and down, up and down. There's so in an interview, she said that it's also the equivalent of climbing Everest four times. Four times, they did. yes. Because they make the point that it's not really a coastal path, it's a cliff path. It is yeah. a cliff path. Yeah. And, and, the, and the couple that they meet along the way. <laughs> give oh, us, no, it's a group of people, yes. isn't it? Uh, um, they're slightly more the mature beach. and they've got off a bus and they've got all their, their gear on and... and Bless Moth and Ray are still in their tatters and the, you know her two pairs of leggings and her three pairs of pants and her cotton print dress that she's brought with her. She's still in these, these tatters and these people get really, really cross because it's them, because it's described as a coastal path and actually they're literally way up in the gods on the top of this cliff and literally they turn heel and get back on the bus and off they go. These are not paths. These are, these are This is not a coastal path. This is a cliff path. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But they do meet some interesting characters and they do... One of the things I really, really like about how she describes her whole journey is that it's the the, the reaction that she gets from people. So I won't spoil things, but there is a, a part in the book where you kind of get the impression that people think he's something other, that, that Moth is someone other than himself. And um, that's quite funny. And it, it's all a bit... But they meet this guy who's kind of, he's a wine merchant and he lets them sleep in the or, in his orchard from a rented house and he gets, Moth gets a massage and they get a massive lasagna and, and all this kind of stuff. And then on the other side, you get these people who, as soon as they say the word homeless, they turn away, they shy away, they step that back. That is really interesting mm. because it... it there are so many conversations that they have with people where they start talking about the fact that you know they've left they've left home they're just mm. walking the whole thing and the moment that there's a quote where she says that the word sold made all the difference all the difference yeah. that was the one word yes if they yeah. thought they'd sold the house rather than having lost the house yes yes yeah. people's attitudes entirely yeah. changed and it's that word isn't it lost and and i felt all the way through this whenever the word loss or or loss or whatever came up i at one stage, I did actually shout at the book, you didn't lose it. It was stolen from you. And I got quite, quite emotional about it. And, and from a, you know, a, a legal technicality, they, they lost, huh, didn't, Everything. stolen from them, taken away. I do actually wonder where, where this guy is, Cooper, that uh, I'd like a word with him. I think a lot of people would. I think a lot of readers of this book would. But now back to The Salt Path by Rainer win which is about a phenomenal journey you mentioned that it is an emotional journey i know we overuse that phrase (laughs) quite a bit especially marketing materials on the the backs of books but it is very much that um and just to remind everybody the salt path by Raina win is a memoir and basically to introduce it to you just days after Raina learns that moth her husband of 32 years is terminally ill the home is taken away from them um and their livelihood as well and with nothing left and little time they decide that they are going to walk the 630 miles of the sea swept southwest coast path which is in the uk 
Now, I know that you had a bit that you wanted to read out, Daisy. I do. It's, it's right at the beginning and it sets things up brilliantly. And she is the mastery of these words. You are under the stairs with them. So this is right at the beginning. I need my glasses on, guys. You, may, you yeah. may wear your glasses. That's <laughs> totally fine. I was under the stairs when I decided to walk. In that moment, I hadn't carefully considered walking 630 miles with a rucksack on my back. I hadn't thought about how I could afford to do it, or that I'd be wild camping for nearly 100 nights, or what I'd do afterwards. I hadn't told my partner of 32 years that he was coming with me. Only minutes earlier, hiding under the stairs had seemed a good option. The men in black began hammering on the door at 9am, but we weren't ready. We weren't ready to let go. I needed more time. Just another hour, another week, another lifetime. There would never be enough time. So we crouched together under the stairs, pressing together, whispering like scared mice, like naughty children, waiting to be found. Our guest Daisy Line reading from The Salt Path by Raina Wynne, which is one of the books we are talking about in our adventurous book segment. Mm. I mean, I, I love I love that because it does give you a taste of how wonderful a writer she is. I mm. think part of the joy of the book and the reason it works is because she is a phenomenal writer. She she has a really lovely turn of phrase, mm. an absolutely lovely turn of phrase. Um, very early on in the book when she's describing what is being taken away from her, there's this lovely moment when she, she asks herself who's going to give... Stolen, which is one of their old sheep, a piece of bread every morning because this sheep expects a piece of bread. Um, and she describes the trees where her children grow up climbing these trees and scraping their knees. And, and she describes the field that Moth had brought back from nothing and built up the wall, the stone, dry stone walls, stone by stone. And that building was almost part of her and to let it go was almost having to let go of part of herself. And when we talked about the emotional journey, I, I keep shuddering every time I say that, but, but the emotions that happened on the journey, should we put it like that? She tried not to have any. She tried to put everything away. She tried to really keep everything down, not just for Moth, who was physically tired and very, very poorly, but also for herself to protect herself from... And not knowing what was going to happen next. She she embarked on the journey with Moth because there was nothing else to do. She fell through the cracks of service provision in the UK, which don't get me started on, but she fell through those cracks and there was nothing else for her to do. It wasn't an option. It was either stay still and I don't know. I don't think she knew. Uh, or what, go or yeah. just start moving and that momentum. And they picked a name. They picked Land's yeah. End, and yeah. they thought, well, let's we'll aim for that. And, yeah. and as they get closer, you start. They think, well, what, what on earth are we going to do next? And mm. that's one of the things they have to deal with in the book as they I love travel the, through. The first time that she actually admits that they're heading for Pool <laughs> to anybody else but herself and Moth, because Pool is further on from from the Land's End. So they, every time they met people, they just gave this Land's End, and that's a thing in itself. Land's End. And it, it's. It's very emotive, isn't and it? And of course, the one question they get from everybody is, where, where are you going, Land's End? Wow, how do you have enough time? Yeah. Because yeah. everyone and else has got up You're so old. <laughs> yeah, you're so old. You, you're only as old as you feel, is yes. one of the quotes they take from the from people this and start using guy. it themselves. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's really lovely. But it's... Um, and she's I, in her... She's 50. She's think, 50, yeah. So she's a mere babe. Mm. Uh, but we were talking during the break about some of the questions that, that arose along the journey that we still want answered. There's a lovely part where she meets a, a, a young boy 
and he really likes this girl and then they talk to the girl and the girl really doesn't want this boy to leave. He's planning to leave and join the army. So we don't know whether they actually, whether they did a little bit of matchmaking on the way there. So there's all these tiny wee little moments all the way along the journey that really make you want to end that physical journey with them and find out what happens. The, the book does a good job of asking the question, how can we lose everything that we hold dear and then rebuild our sense of home in sometimes unexpected ways? Yeah. And you, you keep, I have to say though, that the book, I think we were talking about this off mm. air, that the downside is it starts brilliantly. And I think from like after about page 100, it starts to sag a bit mm. in the middle. And for somebody who, yes, was you know born in the UK, but left very, very young, I I kind of lost, I, I, they all blurred into one, all of the places yes. along the Southwest Coast path. I think unless you are part of that and, and you've grown up there mm. and you know these places and are familiar with them, Otherwise, it just it all kind of becomes a bit of mm. too much of the same. Do you think though that maybe that was in the editing rather than in the writing? Because it's such a it's such a strong start and such a strong ending. And I think the middle bit could have done with some. You're right. It could have done with something else there, something else to tag you along. Maybe a few more people. It's also just the subject. I mean, she Raina can't help. That. That's where they walk. Yeah. I just think that for somebody who isn't. Unless you are interested in those locations and maybe you have some connection mm. to that growing up, it maybe isn't as interesting. Mm. I suppose, but emotionally they are in that slough as well, I think. That's the point where yes. they're hitting yeah, rock I suppose bottom. So. And yeah. I, 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 I do see what you mean. Um, although there are still some fantastic vignettes that come up yes, from that and moments exactly. within it. Um, but it's a long walk. There, there were a few comments with other reviews that I, I, I also read. I usually do that. I read the book and then read the reviews and see whether I agree with them. Mm. But there, quite a few people have said there's too much nature stuff in there. <laughs> and I thought, oh, hold on. But they're out in nature. Yeah. But I do understand because there's, there's a lot of description of, of sea mm -hmm. over rocks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Perhaps we should suggest to her that she does put a map in it. Maybe that's the thing we need to do because... You know, following that journey, it's a, it's a beautiful coastline. It's a, it's a dangerous coastline. And there are lots and lots of stories set there. Now, we, we were talking about the fact that they go on an emotional journey. I know you don't particularly... <laughs> I think we How just, many times have we said that? <laughs> I know you're not a fan of the phrase at all. But it, it's good to know kind of the impact that this experience had on them. I mean, they I, I keep saying they lose everything, but as you keep pointing out, they had everything taken away from mm. them. Um, so Raina finds out that her husband Moth is terminally ill. They've been together for like 32 years. They lose their home. All of this happens at the same time, and they decide that they are going to walk the southwest coastal path in the UK, which they think is 500 miles, but it actually ends up being about 630 mm -hmm. that they end up walking about that. Um, and it takes a toll on them. This is Raina talking about how the experience affected them changed my life forever not only through walking so far with so little other than the other than the things we needed to survive so little money so little food consequently and shelter the loss of those material things gave way to something else it gave way to a an ability to live in the moment and to not spend each moment worrying about what the next one would hold but to seize this moment and to hold it to seize this moment and to hold it. That is what Raina took away from her journey on the salt path with her husband, Moth. You have something there that you want to share, Daisy. I can see you holding the book. Oh, I'm itching. Well, we, we had a little excerpt right from the beginning when they were in the cupboard. This is, mm. this is a long time after they were in the cupboard towards the end of the book. 
We hadn't been afforded the luxury of time for the shockwaves from our past to play out and then, as in any good nature redemption story, to go off into the wilderness to refind our way in life. Bad things had hit us in the face like a tidal wave and would have washed us away if we hadn't found ourselves on the path. Our journey had drained us of every emotion, sapped our strength and will, but then, like the wind-blown trees along our route, we had been reformed by the elements into, some, into a new shape that could ride out whatever storms came over the bright new sea. I love that bright new sea. You see, she's been through all this. Um, and it's a bright new sea. There is a bright new life the wonder, there. The wonderful thing about the whole the whole of this book for me is that Raina, there is a tenacity about her and also about Moth. It just mm. You can't help but like them and, and want the best for mm, them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's one of those things. That if it was a, a, a fictional story... You would really, really want to be involved with those characters, wouldn't you? And to know it's a real life story and they're out there and they're still fighting and doing their thing is just glorious. It's lovely. I'd love to meet her. I'd like to move on now, though, because we've spoken already about two very different journeys. We've had Andy Hewitt talking about his motorcycle journey with his wife across Spain and Portugal. And this as well, very different, but also a couple going on a journey together. And I, I think this, the whole concept of how... A relationship works in the context of, of something um, of, of such upheaval is, is quite interesting. We've talked about nonfiction, but I mean, there's a fiction book that you read recently, Flora, that I think ties in really nicely to this. Absolutely, that's right. And in fact, it ties very closely in because um, it's the about the Chemin de Saint-Jacques, which is also known as the Camino de Santiago. It's a centuries-old pilgrim route that ends in Santiago de Compostela, which is where Andy Hewitt at one point ends up on his bike. So there's a lovely connection there. But this is actually a, non, a fiction book um, written by, and people will remember this, Graham Simpson, who wrote the... Rosie Project, with his mm. wife, Anne Boost, who is also a novelist. Um, and what's lovely about this book is the two of them had walked the Shaman together and afterwards have written a novel um, of two characters walking the book, both who need healing in different ways. And they wrote it together, but each taking a different character and then brought the book. So um, in, in the book, the male character, he, he's an engineer or he's an artist? So Zoe's an artist from California and she's reeling from her husband's sudden death, after which she... Very uh, rather like um, uh, Ray, they lo loses everything, and she gets on a plane and leaves for France to find an old friend who she helped through a terrible, terrible time in college many, many years ago, mm. and she just wants to go somewhere new and find some solace. She doesn't expect to start to end up walking along this pilgrim's path that takes you from northwest from France into northwest Spain. Uh, Martin is an engineer from England who's been teaching in Cluny, so he's, he's recovering from a messy divorce. And likewise, he's not expecting to go on any sort of pilgrimage. He's a very matter-of-fact mm. guy, um, in, in the way you can imagine Graham Simpson would write. Um, but the two of them find themselves on the same path, crossing, interlinking, crossing paths as they come along this very long, very emotional, actually, journey. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and again, they are both physically and emotionally changed by the end of it. Yeah. Um, and although it is, uh, it's fiction rather than non-fiction, it still has that great pull of two characters finding out about themselves, finding out about life and, and really changing. It's just crying out to be made into a movie. I think it could be. I, I've got a couple of... of the, so both of them set off for different reasons. Um, this And before they leave, they both have to meet someone called Mon Monsieur Chevalier, and they get a passport. So as you walk along this very, very long pilgrim path, uh, you 
stop in different places. You have your passport stamped. There are special hostels that are open specifically for pilgrims um, to mm. to see. And, and and when you get to the end, yeah, you know, the idea is that you have visited every point along the route, and you have to pick up your pass- passport to start. Um, so Mr. Chevalier asked Zoe, "Why are you walking?" He asked. It's hard to explain. I feel I've lost touch with the universe. He didn't push it. Instead, he shared some of his own wisdom. My sneakers were not perfect, but they do to begin with. I should change my socks every day and not wear them wet in the evening. Blisters were inevitable, but could be treated by running a needle and thread through them and leaving the thread in place. I needed safety pins to hang clothes, which could dry my pack during the day. Only two things are certain on the shaman, Monsieur Chevalier concluded. The first is blisters. The second is that when when you arrive at the Santiago Cathedral, you will cry. As I wasn't intending to go beyond the Spanish border, the crying was not going to happen then, though I knew, <laughs> knew I needed to do it sometime. Monsieur Chevalier noticed my scallop shell and became quiet for a few minutes, channeling something. Zoe, he said, his accent making my own name sound exotic to my ears. This shell will go to Santiago, and when you finish your journey, you will find what it is you have lost. He looked a little longer, maybe sensing its emanations as I have. I have the intention to walk the Spanish section in April. Perhaps I will see you. And finally, the shaman will change you. And the reference to the scallop shell is scallops are the sign of the pilgrimage. So they are how oh, you okay. follow. And she's picked up unexpectedly the shell that she didn't mean to buy in an antique in an antique shop, and she's wearing it around her neck. So he's known for the Rosie Project, and then, I, as I understand it, they wrote alternating chapters. So he wrote the male perspective, and she wrote the female perspective, and the the chapters alternate throughout the book, right? That's right. And what works so well is that um, they actually don't meet up that often. So they start out, they meet each other, have a misunderstanding where she thinks that he's French and possibly a hunter and possibly a shoplifter, and and he thinks that she's sort of an arrogant American who doesn't really know what what she's doing and why she's there. And these inter- this, these these um, miscommunications and misinterpretations kind of slowly get sorted out as they cross paths along the Shaman because there's different routes that you can take. Um, and there's lovely little moments um, of intersection that don't even get that you suddenly notice and subtle little things mm. they'll, they'll drop into one chapter that your realise has been picked Pick up, up by the other yeah, character somewhere else. Definitely. It's a bit like the bit in the salt path when they, they go to Glastonbury and they go to the angel thing and, and, and the woman there talks about a tortoise and then right at the end they've got the tortoise on the, on the, the lead, those little pick-up moments. That's, that's beautiful, Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. And there's lots of humour and sadness. Obviously they're both recovering from emotional mm. um, things that have a real emotional impact on them. Um, and there's the kind of classic wry and self-deprecating humour that I think mm. Graham Simpson does so well. Um, so I think the fact that Graham and Anne had walked the shaman together really makes you feel there's a lot of authenticity to it as well. Yes. So it has it rings true in the distances and the, the, the types of people that they meet and the places that they go. So uh, they've taken everything from their own trip? I believe so. Good. I mean, they've certainly that's, that's used cool. a lot of their own experience. We unfortunately have to leave it there. Um, time is running away with us. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.